0: You're listening to the St John's Diamond Creek podcast. This episode presented by Life Groups Minister Del Matthews. So let's read Romans chapter 2 verses 1 to 16. You therefore have no excuse you who pass judgment on someone else for at whatever point you judge another you are condemning yourself Because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now, we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honour and peace for everyone who does good, first to the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favouritism. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and at other times defending them. This will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Well, I'm rather partial to a good whodunit, especially on the weekend. But I'm choosy, though. It has to be a good one and not too violent. There's a formula to the usual whodunit. They all start by setting the scene. And once the opening music is over, the murder happens. Always a murder. The remainder of the time up until the last few minutes is spent gradually unfolding the clues as, and as each new clue is added, so the list of suspects grows until the end when it is usually the least expected character who is the culprit all along. A series strings us along for a lot longer with each episode ending with some new dilemma, maybe the prime suspect killed or the inspector in grave danger. We're left knowing something big has to happen to resolve this situation. Of course, the fun is trying to guess who the culprit is before they are revealed. And we as viewers are constantly passing judgment on this character or that one. Who has the motive and the means to do it? Well, over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the Book of Romans. We've titled our series, The Power of the Gospel. And Paul's argument pans out a little bit like a whodunit. And what is Paul arguing? Well, in those early chapters, he wants us to understand how much we need the gospel, how badly we need salvation. Firstly, he shows us how humankind has turned away from God and how bad sin is as a result. In today's passage, he wants us to understand that we're all under God's wrath and judgment. We will all be accountable to God for what we have done. Now, early in chapter one, Paul set the scene and introduced us to the gospel, which is all about Jesus, Jesus Christ, our saviour, and as it turns out, our judge. Then last week, the crime happened, actually crimes. We learn that the problem stems from exchanging the glory of the immortal God for idols and the truth for a lie we have turned our backs on God. And things just spiralled down from there until the end of the chapter when Paul left us with a long list of vices. And like the end of an episode, but not the end of a series, we were left in no doubt that something needs to be done. Now here we are at the beginning of chapter 2, another episode if you like, and Paul adds another twist, another clue, and starts talking about judgment. Now, most whodunits end with the culprit handcuffed and being taken away in the police car. We don't see them in court before the judge. But not this passage. I think most of us are a bit uncomfortable with the thought of judgment or even of going to court or just being hauled up before the boss or the school principal. Nobody wants to be accused. the accused on trial, all our secrets coming out, the shame of it all those things we've been trying to hide from others and God. Will we get a fair trial or will there be a miscarriage of justice? Will it be like Australian courts? They're not always fair. Well, today we need to set aside whatever we feel about going to court because we will learn that God's judgment is so different to anything we might experience here. And there are three things that might make it different. Three things we learn about God, the just judge. Firstly, we learn that God's judgment is inescapable. With another clue added, the list of suspects here in Romans is vastly expanded and includes those you would least expect. No one will escape judgment. Let's go back to the end of chapter one to get a sense of who up to that point we knew was deserving of God's wrath and just what they were like. So chapter 2, verses 28b to 31, reads something like this. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Now notice the pronoun they. We might call them self-seeking. And as you listened again to that list, did you find yourself thinking that you knew who would be included in they or them In today's world? Did you include yourself in them? Well, the Christians back in Paul's day probably had no trouble working out who they were. The church in Rome was mixed Jews and Gentiles, but mostly Jews. And that list of vices is exactly the list the Jews of the time used to describe the pagan Gentile world. They had this mystery solved. Or so they thought. Then suddenly, in verse 1 of chapter 2, Paul changes pronouns and addresses you, singular. So who is you? In this It, Paul has just turned to the audience and suddenly included them as possible suspects. He is addressing anyone who listens to that list and thinks they know who they are I'm not like that. You as a self-righteous, the religious, who believe they are morally right in all things. Maybe Paul means you and me. If we are honest with ourselves, we can probably tick some boxes of those vices in chapter one, you know, sometimes an outward action that anyone can see, but also in our hearts that gods can see. But don't those vices seem a bit extreme for you and I, who live basically good lives, who can tick tick all the boxes? What about murder? Well, I'm guessing that over the last week you haven't committed murder. But over the last week, have you been angry with someone? Well, Jesus tells us in the book of Matthew that it's just as bad as murder. Even if our anger is not expressed, God knows the secrets of our hearts. And actually, there's very, very little difference between these two groups in chapter 1 and 2. They both know God's law, his moral law, yet they both do wrong. One lot are open about their sin and try to get away with it by convincing us that it's not really sin at all. They approve others doing the same things as if they had done no wrong. And then the self-righteous pass judgment on others for doing wrong. They hide their own sin by pointing the finger at other people. What does Paul mean by saying it is wrong to pass judgment? Does he mean that we should say that murder, gossip, slander, arrogance is okay? No, to pass judgment is to believe that others are worthy of God's judgment, but we are not. It's not about condoning the wrong action. It's about condemning the wrongdoer. To pass judgment is like push, pushing the judge out of the chair and taking over the trial. It's a rejection of God as judge, thinking we know better. For example, when we judge prominent people, say like Putin, we might say something like, "He's he's evil, pure evil rather than saying that he is doing the wrong thing. Or maybe closer to home, we might think, they're not very Christian when someone does something we don't like. Or lumping a lot of people together, like judging all rich people or all big business as being greedy, even though that might apply to only some of them. And Paul is also speaking to our tendency to be quick to condemn others, while easily finding excuses for ourselves. So it's like reading that list in chapter one and thinking, but if you knew the real me, I'm not like that. Well, maybe a little bit of envy, but you've got to understand my circumstances and how tough I'm doing it. And oh, maybe a little bit of malice, but you don't know what they did to me. They deserve what they got. See, we forget that God knows the truth, nothing but the truth the whole truth about us and what is on our hearts. The self-righteous try to hide their sin behind their condemnation of others. Like in any whodunit, if a character condemns murder, who would suspect them of being the murderer? But there are no secrets hidden from God. Paul is also speaking about our tendency to show contempt for the kindness of God, To think that a kind God could not possibly condemn a good person. Now this is misuse of God's character and amounts to a total disrespect of God himself. His kindness is not something to be used to get us a pardon. In his patience, God gives us time to come to repentance. His kindness is intended to lead us to repentance, not let us off the hook. Now, so far, all the suspects in this passage and chapter one have three things against them. They all know the law, they do not obey the law and they've not repented of their wrong. Now, we get it that the self-seeker needs to repent and turn back to God, but it's only when we understand that we are all just as bad, just as depraved as them that we understand our own personal need to repent. And repentance starts with talking to Jesus about our sin, acknowledging that we have done wrong and asking Jesus for forgiveness. It's also about turning away from that sin, and no longer trying to legitimize it or pass judgment on others. By the end of the first 4 verses, We find the number of suspects has just blown out exponentially to include those of us who thought we were basically okay. We have learned that the judgment of God is inescapable. Now, secondly, as we move on, we learn that God's judgment is righteous. He is always right. In any court, the jury or judge makes a decision of guilt and punishment based on the evidence supplied. In verse 6, Paul quotes from Psalm 62 to tell us what that evidence is. God will repay each person according to what they have done. Now hang on, isn't Paul contradicting himself here? Now didn't he say in chapter 1 verse 17, the righteous will live by faith? And if we read ahead in 5 verse 28, he says, A person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So why is he saying in chapter 2 that we'll be judged on what we have done? Well, this time Paul contrasts two groups, not the same groups we've had, we've already looked at. And this time, these two groups are poles apart. If we start with motive, one group seeks glory, honour and immortality. And what does that mean? Whose glory? and honour. In the Bible, glory is always associated with God's presence. In chapter 1, we're told that the self-seeking exchange the glory of the immortal God for images. So the first group seeks the glory of God. They don't exchange it. They seek honour from God, not glory and honour for themselves that comes from people. Immortality reminds us of the resurrected life a life of joy in God's presence, only possible to us because of Jesus' resurrection. In essence, people who seek glory, honour and immortality are motivated by seeking God himself. Their motive of seeking God naturally results in actions that please God, they do good. Faith always results in good works. So the key word here is persistence. The hallmark of genuine faith is someone who persistently seeks God, his glory, and his approval. As we persistently seek God, spend time in his presence, learn from his truth, we become more like him and do good. People who are not seeking God are motivated by self-interest. They reject the truth of God, and by doing that, reject God himself. They are self seeking. In our world today, many who reject God's truth encourage us to find the truth within ourselves. They're simply promoting self seeking and a rejection of God. There is only one truth, and that can be found in God. Now, a motive of self seeking results in actions that don't please God. Those people do evil. Actions betray motive. These are people who persistently sin and don't come to Jesus to repent. Persistent self-seeking never brings satisfaction and joy in the end. It can only result in trouble and distress. Persistent rejection of God and his truth can only result in his anger and his wrath. But it's never too late to turn to Jesus to seek God. Remember, in his patience, that's what he wants us to do. So the second thing we have learned is that God's judgment is righteous. He knows the secrets of our hearts and what we have done, and he will do right. There will be no miscarriage of justice, no unfair verdict. Thirdly, we learn that God's judgment is fair. Now in chapter 1, verse 16, we read that salvation is is for everyone, first for the Jew and then the Gentile. Now, the Jewish members of the Church of Rome would have been rather pleased about that, but they might have also expected Paul to say in chapter 2 that God's judgment would be first for the Gentile and then for the Jew. Having been reminded all the way through the Old Testament that Israel was the chosen nation, they would expect some favoritism when it came to judgment. Maybe no judgment at all. But Paul makes clear, just as we can all expect judgment, there will be no preference for the Jews. They will be judged on the same basis as everyone else. God does not show favoritism. The result will be the same for all. Distress and trouble for the self-seeking Jew first and then the Gentile. And glory and honor and peace for the God-seeking Jew first and then the Gentile. Then we're presented with another question in the It of Romans 2. Are people who never get to hear about Jesus also included in the list of suspects that will face judgment? Well, for two years, I lived among the Yale people. They live in the highlands of Papua in Indonesia, and the only access to their villages is by light aircraft or a long walk, up very steep mountains. Now they have the New Testament in their language now, but it was only 50 years ago that they had any contact with outsiders when the first missionaries climbed those mountains. And judgment is always a measure against a standard, a law. So is it really fair that the generations of Yahleh, who lived more than 50 years ago be judged by the same standard of God's law as the Jewish people who have known it all their history. Is it fair that anyone who dies without knowing Jesus be judged the same way as those of us who do know Jesus? Well, Paul makes it clear that we're all going to be judged by the same law, both Jews and the rest of us. He answers our concerns of fairness, firstly by reminding us and his Jewish audience that just having the law and knowing it is not enough. Only full obedience to every aspect will be judged to be righteous. We will be judged by what we have done against the standard of the law of God. But it is impossible to obey the law completely. The law condemns. It's not a saviour. What about the people who had no access to God's law? Paul tells us that the requirements of the law are written on our hearts. We all have a conscience and there are remarkable similarities between cultures on what we all consider to be wrong. I saw that, that with the Yale people, murder, adultery, stealing, they were all considered to be wrong, at least when you committed it against another fellow Yale. A wrongdoer could be brought before a court of village elders for them to determine punishment or retribution. God will judge us all by the same standard, the law written on our hearts, the law our own conscience knows. But only those who have had the privilege of knowing the written law will be held accountable to it, whether they have been obedient or not. Those, like the previous generations of Yahweh, will be held accountable to the law written on their consciences. Now, God's judgment is completely fair. He shows no favoritism. The Jews who had the law and we who have the Bible will be judged by what we have done, by our obedience. Those who don't know, don't have the law, will be judged by what they have done, their obedience to the law written on the hearts of all of us. So recapping, God's judgment is inescapable. God's judgment is righteous. And God's judgment is fair. Now, Paul brings this argument to a conclusion in verse 16. And like any episode in the middle of a whodunit series, this verse sums up the main point of this episode while hinting at what is to come. It reads like this. This will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. So we're reminded that Judgment will take place. There's a certainty about this. And we'll all have our day in court, the final court of all time. And no one gets an exemption card. Judgment is inescapable. God judges our secrets, whether you're in the self-seeking group or the self-righteous group, whether you've lived your life knowing the law of God or like many who have not had the written law. God will judge us all by the secrets of our hearts. He knows all the evidence. Nothing can be hidden from him. We will get a fair trial. He knows that none of us have lived up to our own consciences. We're all deserving of his wrath. We all need a saviour. And in verse 16, we find that the judge that we will face is Jesus Christ. Now, we'll get more detail on what Jesus has done for us in the chapters to come, but we know that through his death and resurrection, he took the wrath of God that we deserved. It's through the cross that we're credited with his righteousness. As Joel explained to us a couple of weeks ago, we not only had our debt paid on the cross, we were credited with righteousness, so that when we stand before our righteous judge, It will be the righteousness of Jesus on display. How incredibly encouraging to know that our judge will be Jesus Christ himself. Our saviour will be our judge. And if we bring all our sin and shame to Jesus now in repentance, I imagine the scene going something like this. Jesus looking over our life and what we've done, then saying, well, there's nothing here that we haven't already talked about. Nothing here I haven't taken care of with my blood on the cross. See, for a Christian, someone who has persistently sought God, bringing every facet of our lives to him now, all our secrets facing Jesus will bring glory, honour and peace. There will be no fear, only great joy. And finally, we read in verse 16 that God's judgment is all part of the gospel. Now, it's all very well to have laws and standards to live by, but if there's never any policing, never any punishment and discipline, then there's no reason to obey the law. So the certainty of God's coming judgment only reminds us of our great need for a Saviour. Without salvation, we all deserve the wrath of God, and we will all be held to account. Understanding God's judgment helps us know ourselves and who we really are. In the church calendar, we're in the middle of the period of Lent, and this is a time that Christians take for reflection and repentance of our sin. It's a time to bring our secrets to him. And knowing our great need helps us all the more to appreciate Jesus Christ and the power of the gospel to save us. Knowing our great need helps us to appreciate just what he did for us on the cross that we remember at Easter. So why do we need the gospel? Why do we need salvation? Because we will all face God's judgment and be held accountable before Jesus, our judge. This passage leaves us with the, without the detail on salvation offered us. So like in any whodunit series, rather than wait a whole week for the ne- next episode in this great news, I want to encourage you to binge read ahead, at least to the end of chapter 4, the chapters we'll cover in this series, but why not read right up to eight chapter eight verse one? Here's a sneak preview to hang on to and remember this week as you think about the judgment of God. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, our Saviour and our Judge, we praise you because your judgment is completely fair and righteous. We thank you for your great patience with us. Help us to persistently seek you, to turn to you in repentance, and never forget your kindness towards us. Amen.
0: Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search for St. John's Diamond Creek.